when our kids were in elementary school, we took a family vacation to Toronto. And uh, we had never been there, so we didn't know what to see. But all the guidebooks said, you have to go up the CN Tower, the world's tallest freestanding structure. And I did not think that was a good idea, because I have this fear of heights. And the thought of anything being 1,800 more feet off the ground was, to me, sounds like a bad idea. But the kids said, oh, Dad, come on, Dad, we got to go, Dad. And so against my better judgment, we went. Well, I was the last one into the elevator, and then as they, you, know, you naturally do in the elevator, you turn around, so you know, the back of the elevator is that way, and you face the door. Well, when the door closes and we start up, I realized two things. One, the door is actually a window. It's made of all glass. And second, we are on the outside of the CN Tower. So as we are rushing up the side of this, this uh, thing, this beast, uh, I, can, I can see Toronto falling away at my feet. And it's like this far. It's nothing but air. My palms are sweating and I'm like, you know, breathing fast. Well, we finally got up to the observation uh, deck where I thought I could maybe relax a little bit, where I thought I might be safe. But I found that some sadist had built there a glass floor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So... And so the kid, you know, people can walk on it, and you, you can look straight down, 1,100 feet to the ground. So the kids are, are having a ball. They're lying on the glass, lying down. They're going, come on, Dad, this is great. I'm like, no, 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 no. That was installed by the manufacturer with the lowest bid. I am not going out on that. <laughs> well, uh, that same year, we went to the Grand Canyon, where you stand at the rim, and you look 6,000 feet straight down. And unlike at the CN Tower, there is nothing standing between you and your doom. Uh, you're not separated by two and a half inch thick blocks of glass. And so every year, believe it or not, on average, about two or three people die at the rim of the Grand Canyon. I read about this, and, and some of them are from what was called overly zealous photographic endeavors. <laughs> Others because people have been drinking or goofing around, right? But the painful fact is, like, over 60 people have died at the ledge of the Grand Canyon. Now, still, though, knowing all that, the Grand Canyon is so incredibly beautiful that I could not turn away. I was just drawn to it. I had to see it. I had to get near it. And I did. I knew I couldn't get too near the edge, not do anything really stupid, but that same awesome beauty that caused me a legitimate and healthy fear also drew me toward it. Now, when the Bible talks about fearing God, which it does a lot, it does three times in our psalm this evening, what is it talking about? Is it talking about the kind of fear I felt at the CN Tower? Or is it talking about the kind of fear I felt at the Grand Canyon? Now, for much of my Christian life, preachers and, and book authors and devotional writers said, well, when the Bible says fear God, it doesn't really mean fear. It means awe. It means respect. And you should respect God, but you really don't need to actually fear him. In effect, it's like you're standing on a glass floor 1,100 feet above the ground. And it being there may give you a thrill, but it's completely safe. 
And so if, if you are feeling any terror with God, that's really not necessary. That's a sign maybe of spiritual immaturity. Which all sounded good. I believe that and I pass that on to a number of people. But uh, have we read the Bible lately? Okay, start reading at the beginning and we get Adam, the first human to encounter God, who says to God, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I felt what? Afraid. Then Moses hears God speak to him from a bush that is on fire but not burning up. And the Bible says he hid his face because he was afraid to look upon God. Then God, Moses gathers all of God's people at Mount Sinai and God comes down and the mountain is covered in smoke. It's rumbling. There's a trumpet blast. They've got police tapes so like no one goes near the mountain. And the voice of God starts to speak and it is so dramatic, so, so shattering in its holiness and impact that the people go, don't let God keep talking to us or we will die. That's what they think. Job says flat out, I am terrified at God's presence. I am in dread of him. Or take Isaiah. One day he is praying in the temple and his prayer time gets interrupted when he gets this vision of God in all his glory. And Isaiah says in the message translation here, doom, it's doomsday. I'm as good as dead. Every word I've ever spoken is tainted. Blasphemous even. And the people I live with talk the same way. And here, I've looked God in the face, the king, God of the angel armies. At this point, we might be thinking, well, okay, some people actually did feel fear around God. But all the examples you've given are in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Thankfully, we know God in Christ is revealed to us who is full of grace. Well, Jesus is revealed to us and is full of grace. And Jesus is the one who said these words, dear friends, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot do any more to you after that. I'll tell you whom to fear. Fear God who has the power to kill you and then throw you into hell. Yes, he's the one to fear. Now, I could go on with many more examples. But I think you can see that when the Bible talks about fearing God, yes, it means awe, but more than that. Yes, it means respect, but more than that. It also means fear. It means the kind of healthy and realistic fear I had at the Grand Canyon, where I was drawn into its amazing beauty, but I also knew the danger because people who have acted foolishly near it have died. Over the years, people who have acted foolishly and arrogantly near God have died. The Bible gives us some of their names, Korah, Dathan, Abiram, Uzzah, Ananias, Sapphira, Herod, and those are just some of the ones we have the names for. There are others for whom we don't know the names. For example, Paul writes to the Christians in the city of Corinth, and he says, what? Do you really want to disgrace God's church and shame the poor? That is why many of you are weak and sick, and some of you have even died. Can we all do a hard swallow? This is God. This is the real God. This is the real God you and I have to relate to. Our God is a consuming fire. 
The real God is the God who may call you and me to a place we never would have chosen. The real God is the one who will correct us when we would keep thinking, eh, no big deal. The real God is a God whose plan is so mysterious and so great that in order to get us where we need to be, he may allow suffering of a profound kind into our life. Do you and I have a healthy fear of God? The late, great A.W. Tozier says that in the old days, the people of faith did. Listen to this. Quote, however intimate their communion with God, however bold their prayers, at the base of their religious life was the conception of God as awesome and dreadful. Wherever God appeared to people in Bible times, the results were the same. An overwhelming sense of terror and dismay, a wrenching sensation of sinfulness and guilt. And then Tozier compares it with the Christians of his day, 70 or 80 years ago, and you decide if we have gotten better than they. Conversely, he writes, the self-assurance of modern Christians, the basic levity present in so many of our religious gatherings, the shocking disrespect shown for the person of God are evidence enough of deep blindness of heart. Many call themselves by the name of Christ, talk much about God, and pray to him sometimes, but evidently do not know who he is. And then he quotes the proverb, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, but this healing fear is today hardly found among Christian people. Mic drop. So, I want to ask you and I want to ask myself tonight, is what I experience toward God more of a CN Tower kind of fear where I can kind of goof around because there's really no threat? Or do I know that this is a Grand Canyon type of God we're dealing with? Depending on which answer that really is for us, we'll tell a whole lot about how likely we are, get this, to obey God. Moses once said to God's people, the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. Isn't that interesting? The fact is, without the fear of God, we all have within us this thing of we would skate. We would try to get by with as little effort as we could. And, and, and it's when you and I know the fear of the Lord when we become conscious that, whoa, God is here. God is powerful. God is holy. That we act differently. That's just us as humans. Uh, my friend used to fly for business a lot. He was on an airplane flight one day, and he could not get over how nice and how responsive and how totally courteous every single flight attendant was on that flight. And so finally, it just was overwhelming, and he, and he had to stop one in the aisle, and he said, excuse me, I just have to say, he goes, I fly over 100,000 miles every year and I have never seen a flight crew as, like, as courteous and as responsive as all of you. She said, well, thank you. The person you should thank is that woman sitting right up there. She's our supervisor. <laughs> every day of your life and mine, do we realize God is on this flight? and he can give me a bonus, or he can fire me. When we fear God, you know what? We do what we're supposed to be doing. 
We treat the people we're supposed to be treating well, well. The fear of God is a healthy restraining force in our lives. I know sometimes I have not wanted to do the right thing, and I have thought this, well, who would know? Nobody's ever going to know. And then in my better moments, I get this, God will know. I don't want to have to explain it to him. A couple of times I've been in like management team meetings or stuff about some situation that was fraught and had some legal ramifications to it. And one of the things that I've always said in those kind of meetings is, am I prepared to do the deposition for what we decide here today? And if I don't want to do the deposition, we ain't going to do it. And that's the way the fear of God works. In our psalm tonight, the phrase, those who fear him, in verse 17, it means the exact same thing as verse 18, those who keep his covenant and remember his commandments and do them. Bottom line is, you fear God, you obey God. It's just so simple. When we fear him, we do what he says, and when we don't, we make excuses. Okay, so let's recap. What is the fear of God like? CN Tower or Grand Canyon? And we said, Grand Canyon. It's the real thing. Then we asked, what difference does it make? It's a healthy restraining force. We take God seriously, we take other people seriously. Now, in the time we have left, I just want to ask a third and final question, which directly affects all of our relationship with God. If the real God is fear-inspiring, as I've just said he is, why would you or I ever want to draw near to him? Why? Well, tonight's psalm tells us, verse 10 says, He has not dealt with us according to our sins nor rewarded us according to our wickedness. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so is his mercy great upon who? Those who fear him. When we come to God with the right attitude of God, you're God and I am not, when we get really clear on that, what we experience to our surprise, because he is a God, we should have a healthy and holy fear around. What do we find? He forgives us. He shows us mercy. We did not see that coming. That is a shock. He chooses to give mercy, and he gives it especially to those who fear him. Why don't you read with me verses 8 through 11 of the psalm tonight? We'll say it all together, and we'll go slowly enough that we can just kind of take it all in. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy, slow to anger and of great kindness, He will not always accuse us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our wickedness. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so is his mercy great upon those who fear him. So is his mercy great upon those who fear him wonder as you look over those verses that we just read, or any verse in this psalm for that matter, I wonder if you needed a certain phrase or a certain word tonight to be reminded that this great God of ours who inspires true and genuine fear is nonetheless for those who come in that right attitude so full of compassion, so unbelievably full of mercy. 
It's as if there's this waterfall of mercy pouring out from God. And the psalmist can't believe it. Friends, when you and I fear God, we realize, you know what? The good things in my life, they're from God. We don't think we're self-made. We don't think our life's about us. We just stand in awe of him, and we stand under the waterfall of unexpected mercy. We raise our hands and hearts in praise. You know, friends, on a day we don't know, Christ will return in great triumph. He will be Christ the royal, Christ the imperial. Revelation images him as a mighty conqueror riding a white horse. And when he returns, every knee will bow. In awe, yes. In reverence, yes. And in fear. And then a voice will declare from the throne of God, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, both small and great. And those who fear God will lift their heart and their voice and they'll sing, Bless the Lord of my soul. I want to be there. I, be one of, I want to be one of those people who is a servant of God and who fears him. Amen.